I'm going to go ahead and begin by confessing something. I don't want to preach the message I'm about to preach. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you that from the beginning. Of all the 12 characteristics of Jesus that we're going through, this is the one I least want to preach. And uh, you'll find out why as we're going through. Uh, there'll be some moments where you're going to give me the big eyes and you're going to be angry at me. And uh, Some of you may walk out, just know I know what I'm getting into. And just know I don't want to do what I'm about to do. But I feel like we got to stay true to God's word and go through it. So here's, here's the problem. Uh, the problem is I'm set up to fail from the beginning because I'm, I'm going to be preaching about hypocrisy. And uh, hi, my name is Jason, and I'm a hypocrite. I'll tell you that from the beginning. I know it. I'm putting myself in a place that is not good, and I'm going to be calling out hypocrisy, and it's not going to be pleasant. Uh, so I just know I, I got to do this. And, and I think maybe this is one of the reasons why people just don't like preachers anymore. I don't know if you, you know this, but times have changed a lot in people's perception about preachers and pastors. I told you my, my grandfather, my dad's dad was a pastor, and times were really different when he was a pastor. My dad would tell me stories about how like, he, would, he would get so much respect in the community for being a pastor. Like He'd get discounts at restaurants, at discounts at the golf course. He'd even get discounts buying a car because he was a pastor. All this respect he would get. Let me go ahead and tell you, that is not the case anymore. It is, that is not the way society views preachers and pastors anymore. I just want you to know, like, I don't ever tell people I'm a preacher until I absolutely have to. Until they're, and I'm, I'm just a hemming and hawing when they ask me what I do and I'm trying to act like I do something else until finally they pin me and I say, no, I'm, I'm a pastor. Because the moment I say I'm a pastor, the conversation changes and not for the better. <laughs> it gets weird. Like if they're church going people, all of a sudden they stop cussing, they change their whole behavior and stuff. Like, oh, we thought you were cool and now we know you're a pastor. You know, like it's just, this is like a terrible thing. You guys stiffen all up and everything when you find out I'm a pastor. Or if they're not from the church, immediately they start looking at me with that eye like, what you trying to sell me right now? What you after? Uh, immediately they begin with a look of suspicion. And, and to be honest with you, I don't blame them. I know why they do it. I mean, let's, let's just talk about what all we see right now in society. Let's talk about all the, the big old name preachers who've been found out sleeping around with all these other ladies. And you see the hypocrisy. You hear about priests and, and, and they're abusing little boys and, and you, you see the hypocrisy. You, you hear stories about tele-evangelists and they're extorting money to buy private jets and you see all the stuff and you see the hypocrisy and you're going, yeah, no wonder no one trusts people in ministry. I am in ministry and I don't trust people in ministry. I mean, it's, it's a weird situation to be in. I don't, I don't think we can blame them for it. I, I think people are just tired of watching people talk a good game but walk such a lame walk. They see the hypocrisy and they're sick of it. Now, I want you to know, though, this isn't just true of people in ministry. This reputation that I'm talking about of hypocrisy is true of Christians in general to the outside world. There's a book, it's called Unchristian, and it's, it's, it's a lot of statistics and study being done about people who are outside the church. I was talking to Clyde Hodson recently, and he mentioned this. The top three things that the unchurched people think about when they think of the church is they hate homosexuals. They are condemning people, and they're a bunch of hypocrites. Those are the top three thoughts that the unchurched have about the church. They're tired of all the hypocrisy. They're tired of people who say, no, we believe in a God of love, and then we go spit out hate everywhere. They're tired of people who say, no, we, we receive grace and we give grace, and then all we're known for is condemnation with our bullhorn. 
They're, they're tired of a people who talk about morality yet still live undercover immoral lives. They're just, they're tired of it. And they're saying, we're fed up with your hypocrisy. We don't have anything to do with you. But here's what's so hard about it. It's not just the unchurched that are fed up with our hypocrisy. It's the founder of the church who's fed up with our hypocrisy, Jesus Christ. That's the, the fifth characteristic of Jesus. It's three words, super short and simple. You put it up so early. I didn't even get to get to the punch there, guys. That's what it is, though. Jesus hated hypocrisy. Jesus couldn't stand. If you look at his life, you read the Gospels, what you're going to see is that the one thing that most ticked Jesus off was hypocrisy. All over. I mean, you should go through the Gospels and just look at how many times he doesn't just speak against hypocrisy. He gets ticked at hypocrisy. You can read about the time when he goes into the temple and he throws tables over because he's sick of the hypocrisy. It's supposed to be a house of prayer and you're making a buck off of God. All the times that these religious leaders are trying to act all good and clean, but their hearts are evil. He just calls it out again and again and again. In fact, just in the, the Gospel of Matthew, go back and reread the Gospel of Matthew. There are 13 times that he mentions the word hypocrite, where he's calling out hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, over and over. Don't be like the hypocrites. When he mentions something 13 times, that's important to him. He's saying, I got issue with this hypocrisy thing. Now, the definitive chapter of the whole New Testament on hypocrisy is Matthew chapter 23. Go ahead and open your Bibles there. Matthew 23. First book in the New Testament, chapter 23. And we're going to hear Jesus in a time where he just, he unleashes the thunder at this point. At this point. He's just boiling over livid at the scribes and Pharisees. Now, let me tell you what's gone on. So he's now entered the city of Jerusalem for the very last time in what's called the triumphal entry. And he's gone in there. And he's, he's ticked, like I told you, went to the temple, overturned the tables. He can see all the hypocrisy. And he's had to deal with all these groups of people, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these people who are trying to trick Jesus to say something wrong so they can kill him. And these are the very people he knows in just a few short days he's going to the cross to die for, and they're trying to kill him. And I think after the last time of questioning, he's just so fed up, you can see steam coming out of his ears, and he just unleashes. Chapter 23 is Jesus unleashing. Now, I, I, wish, I, mean, I wish I could go through this. If I had two hours, we could have a really good study in this. And, and maybe there's a few of you who want to stick around. We'll just sit down front. We'll go all two hours. But the pastoral staff advised me not to go two hours, something about short attention spans or something like that. I don't know. But I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm just going to, I'm going to pick little parts of it so that we can dig in and see the big picture of what Jesus is saying. So we're going to start with just the first three verses. Listen to what he says. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they sure don't practice. Ouch. He's saying, I'm sick, scribes and Pharisees, of all your antics, all your pretending. He's saying to the people, to his disciples, go ahead and do what they tell you to do because they're sitting on Moses' seat. They're teaching the law of Moses. What they're saying is right, but don't you dare copy them because they can preach, but they sure don't practice what they preach. He's saying, I don't want to just hear talk. I want to see walk, and I don't see it in you. Okay, here's where I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get real honest with you. This is one of the places I am the most afraid of hearing from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am in a vulnerable position because my job is to preach. And every Sunday I stand in this pulpit and I preach. And every time I preach, I have a great danger of preaching what I don't practice. 
of telling you to do something that I don't do myself. And I just have this fear that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus and he's going to say, why didn't you put it into practice? You knew it, but you didn't do it. Or or I'm afraid Jesus may come and stand before you guys and say, hey, you know what? Go ahead and do what Jason tells you to do because he's preaching my word as he stands in my pulpit. Yeah, I've given him the authority to preach, so do what he says, but don't you dare follow him because the boy can preach, but he doesn't practice what he preaches. I don't want that to be my legacy that I could preach a good game, but I didn't put it into practice myself. And I, it worries me sick. On Fridays, almost every single Friday, I'm, I'm in here walking around this room with a few other people, and we're praying. And the number one thing I'm praying is, oh, God, let me not be a hypocrite. Get my heart first. Don't let me come into this pulpit with a, with a blank, empty heart and declare it to you when I'm not willing to have it declared to me too. Because I'm scared to death to be over here preaching and not putting into practice what I preach. But I want you to know, it's not just preachers who have this problem. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have just as much a chance to be a hypocrite as I do. Because the moment you say you believe in Jesus and you don't do what Jesus says, that makes you a hypocrite right along with me. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you should probably sit up and listen. Because Jesus is about to do some slapping and I think we may need it. I think we may need to let him do that to us. Now, before I really get into the heartbeat of what he's saying, though, let, let, me, let me set the record straight, because there could be some of you who are new to the church, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression about Jesus. Jesus does not enjoy slapping people around. Jesus did not like spewing condemnation. He says in John 3, I came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So Jesus doesn't delay him, get his jollies out of pointing out things that we do wrong. He wants to save us, but he also knows that our hypocrisy can actually keep people out of the kingdom of God, and he wants to save. And so if he has to correct our hypocrisy for people to come to faith, he'll do it. And that's what he wants to do this morning. And I just have the unlucky task of being the preacher this morning. Who's who's the controller around here? I should have asked somebody else to preach this message. I could have done that. I could have gotten Matt Koviak up here. He could have preached this message. Jesus is about to get really ugly. Not mean, but he's about to show the ugly side of hypocrisy. In verses 13 through 15, we're going to skip over there. Listen to what he says. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What he's saying to the scribes and the Pharisees is not only do you not make it into heaven, you keep people from getting into heaven as well. You slam the door of the kingdom in people's faces. You make them more fit for hell than heaven when they're around you. And you go, how? How are they doing that? Through their hypocrisy. Through showing people a fake version of a real faith. And so they see this counterfeit faith and they think it's the real deal and they see it has no power and they think God must have no power. And they keep them out of the kingdom of God. See, the key to this whole passage is understanding the word hypocrisy or hypocrite. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. That word in the Greek is an interesting word. It's uh, hypocrites. Hypocrites is a word that actually in Greek originally was not negative. It was positive. I I did a real deep dive study in that word because I wanted to make sure when I told you God's word, I would understand hypocrites, the original Greek word. And I was fascinated by the transition of meaning of that Greek word. 
So hundreds of years before Jesus ever came around, when, when Greek was really the, the main known language in the world, that word hypocrites actually meant an interpreter or a discerner of truth, somebody who would explain things. It's from a Greek word hypocrinomai, which means to answer or to explain. And so if, if you think back to ancient times, you had people who were the vast majority who were illiterate. And so if they were ever to know what was going on in society or ever understand their history, somebody had to interpret it for them. Somebody had to tell them the story. And the people who did that were the Hippocrates. They were orators. They were speakers. And they would go in front of the people and they would tell the story of the history or they would tell the story of what's going on right now with their army off at war or, or they would tell the story in the Greek idea of the gods. And, and they were the interpreters of history in the society. And so they were seen as a positive contributor. Now, over time, as they were telling the story of the gods or telling the stories of history, they began to reenact it. And they would put on masks and they would put on costumes and they would reenact history. And so that word began to change from an orator to an actor, somebody who would wear a mask and pretend to be somebody they weren't. And as time went on, that word began to, to refer not to people telling history anymore, interpreting history, but to people entertaining. And these entertainers, these actors, which was theater was huge back then. They didn't have HBO. They didn't have the cinema. You, you would go and, and watch a play. And these actors would come and they would wear these elaborate masks and costumes. And they would be known for, being, for, for hiding their true self and pretending to be somebody they weren't. They were playing a part. And by the time Jesus comes on the stage, that word got solidified with that meaning. The Hippocrates were people who put on a mask, people who put on a costume, people who pretended to be somebody that they weren't. They looked one way on the outside, but they were totally different on the inside. They were faking it. They were phonies. And that's what he was calling them out for. He was saying, you Pharisees, you scribes, you look all squeaky clean on the outside, but inside you are dirty and rotten and dead. It's exactly what he gets at in verses 25 to 28. Again, there, there's some incredible truth leading over this that I'm just going to skip over. Go back and read it and study it because it's profound what he says. But I want to dig in in verse 25. Listen to how he calls out this pretending, this hypocrisy. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's saying, woe to you guys, you actors, you pretenders, you act like you're all clean, but you're broken. You act like you're all pristine, but you're dead. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Now, when he mentions whitewashed tombs, there's a history behind that, that that I found really intriguing. So you remember, when Jesus is speaking this, he is in Jerusalem, and he's about to go to the cross. It's during the celebration of Passover, which was a seven-day festival where millions of Jews would converge upon the city of Jerusalem because that's where they were supposed to celebrate the Passover. And there would be all these pilgrims who would come in from the surrounding regions to come back to Jerusalem. Now, the people who lived in Jerusalem... In the month of Adair, it was the month before the Passover celebration, they would go and they would whitewash all the tombs. Now, if you don't know the, the, what, what whitewash is, it's really just a, a pristine white plaster that would go on top of any kind of masonry or brick, and they would cover the tombs with this whitewash. And here's the reason they would do it. 
They knew that these millions of pilgrims were going to come in and converge all at once and be everywhere. And they knew that if, if a pilgrim stepped on a tomb or accidentally touched a tomb, they would be defiled according to the law of Moses for seven days, which meant they weren't going to get to celebrate the Passover at all. And so in order to keep them from getting defiled, they would whitewash all the tombs so that they would easily stand out. They would shine brightly so the pilgrims would know to stay away from the tombs. So it was to protect them from uncleanness. But here's the crazy thing that will happen over time. All these tombs that were pristine and whitewashed became a, a sight to behold. It was this gorgeous looking white wall on the mountainside where the tombs were. And it actually became a hotspot for tourists. The very place they're supposed to stay away from so they don't get defiled the whitewash actually drew people over there where they were stepping on dead people's bones and becoming defiled. And what he's showing here is you Pharisees and scribes, you attract people over and they think they're going to find cleanness and all they find is death and defilement inside you. You're dead inside and you look like you're alive. He's calling out hypocrisy. He's saying you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. And I want you to know Jesus, if he were standing here today, would have a lot of hypocrisy to call out in this place too. The definition I saw of hypocrisy that I thought was really profound, it was found in, I, I, we just went to dictionary.com and looked it up and I thought they did about as good. This is one of the few times dictionary.com agrees with Jesus. But listen to what it says. Hypocrisy is a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles that one does not really possess. You act like you're moral, you act like you got principles, you got religious beliefs, but inside, no one else around you may know, but you know it. You don't really possess it. That's hypocrisy. And the sad truth is every single Sunday, there are churches filled with millions and millions of people who plaster a smile on their face, get all dressed up in their Sunday best, come to church and act like everything's fine in their life when they know they've got sin and brokenness all through them. And they just want to make sure nobody finds out. Do you know that every single Sunday, there are people who go and teach a Bible study. And they do that in the morning and by night they're on the computer looking at pornography. It's hypocrisy. Every single Sunday, there are people who come together in the church. And the night before, they were out partying, getting drunk, sleeping around. They come in here and sing, oh, praise Jesus, like it didn't happen. With no guilt or shame over it. Now, it's different if somebody does something, they screw up and they come into the church and they bow down in repentance. Now, Jesus loves that. But when somebody comes in and acts like it didn't happen, like we're all squeaky clean, that's hypocrisy. There are people this morning who will walk around and say, brother, sister, you need to trust in God. You need to trust him. I know this, time, this seems dangerous. I know it seems hard, but God's going to come through. Just trust him. They say that at church on Sunday and they go cheat on their taxes at night because they're afraid they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. And it's hypocrisy. And I think Jesus is sick of our hypocrisy. Listen, those are just the big things. I think the greatest hypocrisy of the church is that we do thousands and thousands of little things and we don't even feel remorse over it. Let me tell you about the hypocrisy that we have. We speak about a God of love and there are people who go out and they slur people racially in our own community and they say it was just a joke. That's hypocrisy. We teach our children to respect authority because we want them to obey us and then we turn around and we tear down political leaders because we don't agree with them. We do it right in front of our children. It's hypocrisy. We talk about the needs and, and the, the missteps of somebody else. We gossip and we say, well, we just need to pray for them. 
And we use prayer as a means of spreading gossip and its hypocrisy. So I was praying this past week. Some of the places the Lord showed me our hypocrisy to be so deep, it was profound. I, I, I think God is trying to wake us up. The church has a tendency to stand up and say, you homosexuals are living in sin, in sexual immorality, you must stop, while the same people turn around and lust. And Jesus says that's the same thing as committing adultery. And we condemn one, but not the other, because that's more convenient for us. And it's hypocrisy. We stand up and we fight for the right of unborn babies, which is beautiful and we should do it. And we say, you're murdering people. And then we go out and we spew out hatred. And Jesus says, if you hate your brother, it's the same thing as murdering. And it's hypocrisy. We're filled to the brim with hypocrisy and Jesus is tired of it. And can I be really honest with you? I think the hypocrisy that Jesus is most fed up with isn't your hypocrisy, it's my hypocrisy. This past week has just sucked. Can I tell you that? Because every single morning when I get up, the Lord has asked me before I preach this message to search my heart and to point out my hypocrisy. And I'm so sick of the hypocrisy I've seen in my own life. I'm sick of it. I know I have the ability to preach a message from God's word. God has given me gifting to remember a message, to preach it. I I know he's given me the ability to interpret passages of Scripture and present them to you in a way you can understand. I know that's my gifting, and I can come up here, and I can sound eloquent. And and I know I can put on a good show. I know I can interpret the Bible. I can go back to the original languages, and I can impress you with my knowledge with words that you can't pronounce. And you can be real impressed with me. I, I can... I can tell you obscure Old Testament stories and all the history behind it, and I can make you think I got my act together. I can pray prayers that sound really profound, and then I can go home and I can yell at my children because I don't feel like they respect me. And you don't see it. You don't know it. But I know it. And the Lord knows it. And I'm sick of my hypocrisy. I'm sick of being able to see the speck in your eye, and I don't even see the plank in my own eye. I'm tired of it. Just this past Friday, I was up here on the stage, and I was praying. And the Lord pointed out my deepest hypocrisy. So just on Wednesday, I'm over there, and I'm, I'm sharing with Covenant Membership Class the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and how different that is than religion. And how religion talks about how we got to obey God to be accepted. But the gospel says, I'm already accepted, therefore I obey. And, and I gave this illustration of, of grace. And I talked about how when, when a, a teenage girl, if she were to mess up, religion is, oh, I screwed up. My dad's going to be so ticked with me. And then I explained, but the gospel is a teenage girl going, I screwed up. I need to go find my daddy. I need him. And I was explaining the difference between those two, trying to help people understand the difference between gospel and religion. And then on Friday morning, I'm standing up here on this stage and I'm praying and I realized that my own daughters would feel too afraid to tell me about their sin because I'd come down hard on them. And I'm not even showing my own children grace. I'm a hypocrite and I hate preaching this message. Can you just stop for a moment? Can you just pray for me? (laughs) 
God, give me strength. In Jesus' name. Look, here's what I believe. I believe that I am condemned before Almighty God because of my hypocrisy were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only reason I can stand before you right now and preach God's word is because I've been redeemed by a blood that washes away every single one of my sins. But I have to claim my sin. I have to share that I'm broken before I can live in the freedom that he wants to give me. And I want to say the same thing to you. There are many of you in this room and you are enslaved by your sin and you're living in hypocrisy and the enemy's winning because you don't want to approach God because you're afraid he might get angry with you. And he's going to go, oh, you hypocrite. Why would God want to be around you? And you don't realize the, the most beautiful truth of the gospel message is that yes, Jesus hates hypocrisy, but he loves hypocrites. Because he hates sin, but he loves sinners. And he will never turn us away. But we have to be willing to confess, I am a hypocrite. I'm filled with sin, even though I've declared to be your follower. That's when we find him. And our world needs to see the church rise up and say, we admit we're hypocrites. Nothing would be more refreshing to the world than for us to take off our mask and stop pretending and to go ahead and admit we're hypocrites, that we sin they would be blown away by that because they're so sick of our hypocrisy. We have to change. And the good news of the gospel is we can change. There's hope for every single one of us. We don't have to live in hypocrisy over and over and over again. We just have to know how to change. And the only way to change is to know where hypocrisy comes from. Let me tell you where all of our hypocrisy comes from. It comes from our broken, deceitful hearts. I want to read for you Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It's a short verse, but it is exceptionally powerful. It says this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is the nature of our heart. Desperately sick, broken, contorted, twisted, utterly selfish. And let me tell you why that matters. As long as we are guided by a selfish heart, everything we do will be selfish. Every time we come to church or watch online, we're, we're trying to get something for ourselves. We, we want to be encouraged. We, we want to hear a word. We want something for us. Every time we do good for somebody else, it's because we want them to do good for us. Every time we give to somebody else, it's because we want them to give or we want God to give something to us. It'll be selfish over and over, and it'll be hypocritical again and again and again. And here's the really bad news. You can't change your heart. You can have a thousand heart transplants and you'll still have a sick, twisted, contorted heart. That's the really, really bad news. This is the worst message you have ever heard in your life this morning. Were it not for the really, really, really good news. The really, really good news is that what you can't do, your Savior Jesus Christ can do. Amen. And he can give us a brand new heart. One of the best words in the entire Bible comes in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I want to just wash this over you. I want this truth just to wash over you. Verse 25, God speaking through Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from, from all your idols I will cleanse you. Listen to this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
I'm going to put a heart in you that can actually do what you could never do before. A heart that is selfless. A heart that can love me without pretense, God says. A heart that can love others without wanting anything in return. Where you can be genuine and unhypocritical. I'm going to give you the new heart. All you have to do is ask for it. Now, I know there are some of you in here, and you're smart people. And there's a little rub going on in your mind right now. You're going, okay, Jason, I hear you saying that. But aren't you the preacher? I mean, aren't you the one who should know to do this? And if you're struggling with it, Jason, if you're still walking in hypocrisy, Jason, how in the world are we ever supposed to overcome it? And if you're, if you're feeling that rub, that tension, I want you to know you have a good reason to feel that tension. But you can do it when you find out there is a principle at play in you that is always at work, and it's the fact that you have the new heart and the old heart going on at the same time. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an old man and a new man that are warring inside of you right now. There's, there's a principle in the Bible that, that you might not be aware of. It's a principle that Jesus ushered in. It's the already but not yet principle. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not fully here. It's been started, but it's not consummated. Jesus began the kingdom, but it won't fully be consummated until he returns. And because of this, the prophecies in the Old Testament, many of them are already started, but not yet finished. So let me tell you what that means. When Ezekiel says, I'll put a new heart in you and I'll take out your heart of stone, one part has happened, but the other one hadn't. We have already been given the new heart, but the heart of stone has not yet been taken out of us, which means that we got two tanks going on inside of us, one with pure gas that the car runs well with and one with rusty contaminated gas that the car doesn't run with. And we have a little lever that we can switch tanks and what we pull from. So at any given moment, we can choose to live from the new man or from the old man, the new heart or the old heart. This is why we maintain hypocrisy, because we're not done yet. We're works in progress. He who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. But it's completed in the day of Christ Jesus, not yet. So until Christ returns and we breathe our last, we are a work in progress. And the only goal of the Christian life is day by day to pull from the new tank instead of the old tank, to live by the new heart instead of the old heart, more and more and more. Which means every single one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have hypocrisies that live in us. We have sins that creep up, and when they're not confessed, they can begin to own us, and the enemy can accuse us. And there has to come a time where we confess it. There's a beautiful truth from God's Word. The beautiful truth is that we can be healed, but we have to recognize the war. I don't know if you've ever read Romans 7 before. Paul talks about this battle going on inside him. He says, the very things I want to do, I can't do. And the very things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And I don't know why. He says, There's my, my spirit wants to do what's right, but my flesh just can't seem to do it because sin is at work in my flesh. So if the apostle Paul is in this war, you and I, I promise, will be in this war. And we cannot fight it on our own. The way to victory is confession of sin and letting Christ cleanse us. And so there must come a moment where we're willing to confess it. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But where does the cleansing come from, the forgiveness come from? Confession. By saying, I'm not going to wear the mask anymore. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to act like my life is perfect. I'm going to choose to be broken. In a moment, I'm going to invite you who are in here, those of you who are believers in Jesus, who are equally fed up with the sin and hypocrisy in your life. And I'm going to invite you to come down to these steps and to bow down. 
to make a public showing to everyone else around you that you admit there's sin inside you. But more importantly, to the king of kings to say, I know there's sin inside me and I want to confess it. And I lay it down before you because I want you to heal me. And you're going to have a chance to respond. I've been praying. I've been praying that there's such a response that we just can't leave this place because sin comes out. I believe God wants to ignite revival and he wants to do it in our church. And there are two things that are present when revival ignites, prayer and brokenness over sin. And I think he wants to start that today. But it'll only happen when we take off the mask, take off the costume, stop acting like everything's good in our lives and say, God, I've got sin. Will you forgive me? I want to give you a chance to respond to that in a moment. So the band's going to come out and we're going to have a chance to do so. But I also want you to know, there are some of you who are in here and you've been warring against addiction or warring against some kind of sin or warring against some area that you can't seem to get victory in. And what you need is to be prayed over. One of the hardest things you will ever do is admit your sin to another human being. But if you remember the book of James, we talked about recently, a few weeks ago, when we had the, the service, we were anointing with oil. In, the, in James chapter 5, it says, if, you, if someone's sick, call the elders and they'll anoint with oil and pray over them and they may be healed. But right after that, it says that if there's somebody who's in sin, they confess their sins one to another and they're prayed over and they're healed. And there may be some of you that the only way you're going to find healing for whatever's going on in your life is for you to find someone up here and say, I'm willing to confess my sin to you. I'm willing to just lay it out there, pray over me. And we'll pray, and you can find healing. But you've got to be willing. But let me, let me say this. Let me also say there are some of you in this room, or some of you watching online, and maybe you're, you're, you're sick of your sin. You're at the end of yourself. You're tired of the same problems again and again. You can't seem to break it. Listen, I've, I've been talking about the church and how we have two natures inside of us, and we can choose which nature to live from. But there are some of you who have yet to enter the kingdom of God because you have not fully placed your faith in Jesus. You don't even have the new heart. You'll never be able to break free from sin. You don't have the power to do so. The only way to have the new heart is to come humbly before Christ and say, forgive me of all my sins. Come take over my life. It is to ask Jesus to save you. And he'll save you. And here's the best part. He'll send his spirit inside of you. And he'll clean out the inside of the cup. And his spirit will stay so that the outside of the cup will be clean too. And we don't have to be Pharisees. We don't have to be actors. We don't have to be phonies pretending we can be utterly changed. There's going to be pastors who are down front who are ready to talk to you about that decision. But it just starts with you saying, I need this. I'm tired of pretending. So I want you all to stand up, if you will. We're going to sing a song, How Deep the Father's Love, to remind us of the depth of God's love for us. And we'll take the Lord's Supper in a moment. But I, I believe God is telling us we need to get on our faces. So pastors, you, you make your way down here to the front. Please hear me. If God is calling you to respond, and, and you just need to make these steps your altar, this is your altar before Almighty God. You, you can bypass us pastors down front. You can, you can just bow down. You can confess your sin before the Lord. And you can find cleansing and healing today. Or if you need to pray with somebody, we're here for you to confess sins, not because we've got some power. We're just going to pray over you so you can find healing in obedience to the scriptures. Listen, maybe, maybe it's something totally different. We want to leave this room open. Maybe you just got certain needs going on in your life 
we, we have, I, I've got anointing oil in my pocket right here. And if you need to be anointed with oil and prayed over, you got sickness, you got struggles, you got things that you need, we'll anoint you with oil, we'll pray over you. Let ministry happen to you. If you're ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ, don't fight it any longer. If you're watching online, you can respond too. You just let us know digitally. You text the word next step to 94253. And afterwards, your campus pastor will give you instructions on what you can do as well. But you need to respond right now because God is calling to you. Every single one of us right now, I want you to wrestle with it. We're going to take the Lord's Supper in a moment. Don't eat and drink judgment on yourself. Confess sin. Get your heart right before the Lord. And don't rush. Look, I know you got things to go to afterward. One of the chief hypocrisies would be to say, Almighty God, you're the most important thing, but I got to go. I got to get to my next thing. He either is or he isn't the most important thing. Everything else can wait. Take the time that you need.